Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.57 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 23rd of August, 2021. This is episode, I don't know, of Bitcoin. And I'm back, baby. I mean, shit, dude. It's been like, what, three weeks since we've been able to sit down and have these little chats. Three weeks, dude. Three weeks in the mountains. Three weeks in the San Juan Mountains. There's kind of a difference. It's not just any mountains. It's the San Juans, bitch. Populated by several... 12,000, 13,000, and 14ers. We're talking mountains here, buddy. 13,000, 14,000, 12,000 foot tall mountains. We're talking like peaks well above the tree line. What does that mean? That means ain't nothing but rock up there, bitches. All right, so <clears throat> vacation was good. Actually, it was more like a workcation. I didn't. I did not do nothing for three straight weeks. I, I guarantee you that. And by the way, it was also supposed to be only two weeks. And we were sitting there, you know, about halfway through the second week. And I don't know, we were becoming kind of mournful because we were going to have to come back and, you know, leave the San Juans. And lo and behold, my sister comes up with this brilliant idea. She's like, fuck it, let's stay another week. And I'm like, I don't know. It's not like I can't do this, you know, what I'm doing anywhere. So we did. We stayed a, another week. We decided to add another week to the workcation. Me and my sister were both working, in fact, from the house in Colorado, and it was a it was bitching. What did so? What what's my takeaway from the vacation? One, probably going to move to the mountains. Two, I can do my job from freaking anywhere. Anywhere. You give me a computer and a fucking internet connection, and I am golden, boy. I am golden. So, that was that was pretty much uh, what I, how I wanted to open the show. So, let's, let's get into this shit, man. Sam Borgi is writing this one for Cointelegraph and tells us that PayPal launches crypto services for UK customers. Yeah, I probably shouldn't start it start out with a crypto thing. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, why? Because it's fucking coin telegraph and all they ever talk about anymore is crypto bitches. Beginning this week, residents of the United Kingdom will be able to buy, hold and sell crypto through PayPal for the first time, making a significant milestone for a company that began offering digital asset services less than 1 year ago. The global payments provider announced Sunday that UK customers will soon have access to Bitcoin and a handful of shitcoin through PayPal's website and mobile app. The announcement marks the first expansion of PayPal's cryptocurrency services beyond the United States, a service that first launched in November of last year. Jose Fernandez de Point, 
a or Ponte, sorry, De Ponte, a senior executive for PayPal's crypto division, cited the digitization of money during the pandemic as one of the primary motivations for entering crypto in the first place. He continued, quote, Our global reach, digital payments expertise, and knowledge of customer and business or consumer and businesses combined with rigorous security and compliance controls provide us the unique opportunity and the responsibility to help people in the UK to explore cryptocurrency, end quote. (gasps) Put a tie on that suit speak. Now, by offering its cryptocurrency services to UK residents, PayPal could play a role in increasing exposure to digital assets in the country. It's reported that, among all European countries, PayPal penetration <laughs> penetrode. PayPal penetration is highest in the UK at over 2 million monthly active users. Rumors about PayPal's <clears throat> crypto expansions or expansion plans have been circulating since last month when CEO Dan Shulman told investors that the UK is likely to get the service soon, TM. As Cointelegraph reported, the company is also eyeing developments in decentralized finance or get scammed, I mean DeFi, which is a possible precursor to future integration plans. On the regulatory front, the UK's Financial Conduct Authority is increasingly cracking down on crypto exchanges that do not meet its registration requirements. Binance's UK operations were shuttered earlier this summer after the FCA warned the exchange it was not permitted to offer regulated trading activity in the country. PayPal's DePont or DePonte, said his company is committed to continue working closely with regulators in the UK and around the world in rolling out its crypto offerings. Oh my God. All right, so is this good? Is it not good? It's crypto. I mean, it's probably not. You know, actually, it's bullshit. Uh, Everything is good for Bitcoin. Now, the whole crypto aspect, at one point or another, we're going to have to just, we're going to have to button it up because this, you know, 99.9% of this space is pure bullshit, pure scam lords. They, it's just, it's, it's a bad scene. All right. Look all, Oh, by the way, before I forget, this may be a short show. It may be a long show. Hell, I don't know. I don't even know what the episode number is. That's how rusty I am. So you know, you spend like three weeks in the fucking mountains is like, you know, Grizzly Adams and you have a tendency to forget how to do shit. So I have no idea if this is going to be a long or a short one. But as going back to the whole PayPal thing. OK, yes, it's good for Bitcoin <clears throat> in the short term. It's good for crypto, which is bad in my book. I hate crypto. I, I get to the point where I barely can even say the word crypto without actually putting some kind of weird spelling pronunciation as in crypto, like my big toe, you know, into it because it's just so sad to watch all these people get freaking scammed. And like, you know, I didn't like, I, I think I left, I, you know, for, for workcation right around the time of the poly hack, I'm not even going to get into it. Apparently the guy who hacked it has given everything back. I, how that is a good thing, I don't know. Stop with the crypto. Stop it. 
although I'm not fooling myself, it's never, ever going to stop. Why? Well, because people just, they don't learn. And how is it that I know that they don't learn? Because OnlyFans is going to stop their sexual content. <laughs> I'm sorry. The OnlyFans only customers are sex workers. No, I'm I ain't I ain't lying, dude. It's like 90% of Only OnlyFans has been sex workers. And now they're going to stop, you know, sexually explicit content because they're being told to. Yeah, that's not going to work out very well. Let's read more. Lee Kuhn is writing this one for bitcoinmagazine.com. <clears throat> How Bitcoin could replace OnlyFans. Could bitches would Bitcoin it could help so many more sex workers find financial freedom if customers are willing to pay in Bitcoin. The adult content platform OnlyFans reportedly oh now well, here we go. See, this is how rusty I am. I accidentally clicked on a damn link in the freaking article. All right, here we go. The adult content platform OnlyFans reportedly plans to stop allowing sexually explicit content in October due to pressure from get this, various banking partners, and instead focus on serving less controversial corners of the creator economy. You mean the boring corners? Sex industry experts are generally horrified by the human rights implications of this move, but are hardly surprised. Credit card giants like MasterCard and Visa stopped serving Pornhub in 2020 at both the platform level and the individual level, including sex workers' personal Venmo and PayPal accounts. The American banking system is systematically working to starve an entire sector of society into submission. Well, it's sex workers and submission kind of goes, oh, whatever. Although similar companies like, what? Chatterbait. Oh my God. Chatterbait use Bitcoin as well as dollars via credit cards. So far, there are no public plans for OnlyFans to switch to using Bitcoin as a replacement for traditional services. One of the primary reasons sex workers don't rely primarily on Bitcoin is that customers rarely pay with Bitcoin. If you own Bitcoin, ask yourself, would you be willing to pay a performer directly with your precious Satoshis? <laughs> Many OnlyFans performers like Fendom, Oh God, Fendom veteran Ali E.V. Knox recently accept Bitcoin. <clears throat> However, based on interviews with dozens of sex workers over the past four years, I could count on one hand the number of performers I've met with Bitcoin regulars. In contrast, there are many customers willing to pay for erotic content with credit cards. Bitcoin owners, by comparison, have a high propensity to save with digital assets rather than spend them. <clears throat> but there are some Bitcoin owners that pay for porn. In 2020, a representative of FanCentro, a website that lets adult film performers sell access to their private social media accounts, whatever the fuck that means, told Coindesk that his platform facilitated thousands of dollars worth of Bitcoin transactions for erotic videos. If Bitcoin owners vote with their wallets and show the world that people can't be kicked out of the entire financial system simply to enforce political correctness, then sex workers will regularly utilize Bitcoin as a cypherpunk tool for lawful censorship resistance. Selling sexual content is a perfectly legal job. 
There are roughly 1 million creators on OnlyFans, the majority of which are women in the sex industry. Paying women in Bitcoin is the most direct, actionable way that any porn customer can promote social justice. And let's be honest, if you're reading this, you've probably watched porn. Oh my God, how does she know? You can't swing a dead cat around the internet without watching porn, either accidentally or on purpose, people. I mean, come on. Performers who manage their own payments directly have more control over their own safety. There are no risky strangers on the street and no studios or managers to pressure performers into anything that they don't want to do. It's important to recall that strip clubs and studios that make sexy music videos <clears throat> are not facing such scrutiny from banks. Women can still sell sex through corporations. It's self-ownership that the banking system finds so threatening. The ability to create and distribute one's own content. There is only one way for OnlyFans performers to switch to using Bitcoin. If Bitcoiners connect with their favorite performers, treat them like people rather than faceless bodies for free consumption, and figure out how to send them Bitcoin, then it makes economic sense for the adult industry to deal with the hassle of Bitcoin payments infrastructure. It's not that much of a hassle, guys. You just got to learn how to do shit. <clears throat> it's simple. Most performers have websites with contact forms or ways to contact them on social media. If you can't already find a Bitcoin option, then ask for it. Women fighting to earn money in the way that they choose and spend it in the way that they choose is one of the quintessential human rights struggles of our generation. And it goes for men too. It ain't just chicks. Remember that many American women couldn't open a credit card in their own names until 1974 until the Equal Credit Opportunity Act passed. Many banks would only grant credit cards to women with their husband's approval and would refuse to grant them to unmarried women. Jeez, I'd, hell, I didn't even know that. That's just sick, dude. This shift to direct Bitcoin payments could be the start of a new sexual revolution. Isn't that the whole point of Bitcoin? To make your own choices? Your credit card company and bank may not approve of this type of free speech. But if you do... Find a way to try to pay for porn with Bitcoin. See for yourself. The possibilities are limitless. And as Marty Bent would always say, stop watching pornography. Now, with that said, let me say this. <clears throat> Lee is kind of, has been kind of a shitty Bitcoiner. Okay, the, the author of this particular story. But I have to agree with every single thing that she said. Now, Let's not even get into the fact that OnlyFans has has already shot themselves in the head and blown their brains out the other side of it, okay? That OnlyFans as a platform was always going to be about pornography. It always was. It's adult content, and they're no longer going to allow sexually explicit content on their platform beginning in October. What does that mean? That means OnlyFans goes away. It goes away. It's going away. And so if anybody wants to come in and fill what's going to obviously be a vacuum in the space, go right ahead. It ain't going to be me, not because <clears throat> I have some kind of moral issue with porn. Hey man, if you want to watch it, that's fine. If you want to engage in it as a, as a performer or a sex worker, you go right ahead. I'm never going to tell you shit. Why? Well, because Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. He didn't give any restrictions on that, by the way. He didn't say, love each other as I have loved you unless you're gay. 
or unless you're a sex worker or unless you're diseased and have COVID because that's coming, dude. No, no, no. It was simply this. Love each other as I have loved you. That's it. That's sort of like the way that the original, like that's sort of the original golden rule, right? It's like do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. Okay, that, all that, that's actually bullshit. What Jesus actually said was love each other as I have loved you. That's it. There's no prescriptions. There's no restrictions. There was nothing, nothing. There was no caveats about that. Hey, are you a, are you a living creature on the face of this planet? Then love each other as I have loved you. And how did he love us? Well, he, he let himself be put on a fucking tree and nailed to it. Got it? Just saying, bitches. As far as sex workers go, probably one of the most shaky industries ever especially now that we have the whole credit card and banking people that are starting to get into the action of morality. Like these guys would, these guys wouldn't know a bag of morality if you did, if you beat them in the head with it, right? These people don't give a shit whether or not it's porn. Like Lee Kuhn said, this is not about the pornography industry. It is about having self-sovereignty and banks fucking hate you for it. They will never like you for it, ever, under any circumstances. The government hates you. Their partners in the banking industry, which is basically their left arm, their right arm is the military, but their left arm is financial authority, right? And with, that, with their left arm, they don't like you, and they are beating the living shit out of you. And first it's going to be porn workers, and then it's going to be farmer's markets, and then it's going to be your, your private farmer and rancher. Right. It's just going to, it's just, it's going to go on and on and on and on and on and on. And unless we fucking stop it, unless we step in and start using Bitcoin, this shit is just going to go on and on and on. And it will hit people that make purses and it will hit people that make you know, like, I don't know, the guy that makes the Saddleback leather bags, you know, which is one of my favorite, you know, one of my favorite brands is Saddleback. It's, he's, he's not going to be able to do the shit that he wants to do because Visa will, will delist his ass if he even shows a smidgen of backbone. It's just going to go on, people. They hate you. They do not like you and they want you to die. And if you don't get it, well, I can't help you. But crypto long and short... When China spoke, Bitcoin reacted. America? Eh, not so much. This is from Coindesk. Emily Parker's writing it. Governments cannot stop cryptocurrency. Oh, it's the crypto. But they can make it much harder to access it. So it would make sense that unfriendly government policies in the world's largest economies would play a role in driving down the price of Bitcoin. As a case in point, In the few days after China reiterated its crypto crackdown in May, Bitcoin at one point plunged by as much as 30%. The drop was another reminder that when China speaks, the market listens. Well, (laughs) bitches, not anymore. They just extricated themselves from the game. Okay, this is me talking. Let's get back to the article. The U.S., it seems, is not so much. This month, a highly controversial crypto tax provision in the $1 trillion infrastructure bill where it had absolutely no business being in the first fucking place, passed through the Senate. 
despite ardent attempts to amend it. Crypto advocates claim that the provision would make it impossible for miners, software developers, and other crypto-related actors to comply with U.S. tax regulations, thus threatening to dive or drive much of the industries overseas. This would seem to be a pretty bearish sign, but it wasn't. At least in the short term, it wasn't. In the few days that followed the advancement of the bill, Bitcoin shot up by as, by as much as nearly 7%. In fact, shortly following the drama in Washington, the entire crypto market reached a market cap of $2 trillion, a height not seen since May. This week, the provision will move to the House, where the language may or may not change. It remains to be seen whether the market responds to what happens in Washington, D.C. Why did Bitcoin seem to react so differently to the U.S. compared to China? As with anything Bitcoin price related, it's impossible to say for sure, but there are many other factors that affect prices. And here are some of the more plausible theories. China has not, or sorry, China has long been pro-blockchain and wary of crypto. And this is far from the first time that Beijing has cracked down on the industry, but China's government seems to mean business this time, at least for shutting down cryptocurrency mining. Chinese miners seem to understand that protesting this policy is unlikely to change anything, and so they are already seeking their fortunes outside the country, as you all should. The U.S. bill's passage through the Senate, however, is just the beginning. Now, lobbying efforts will focus on the House, where the bill will be discussed next week. And if the language isn't amended there, the crypto industry is not going to give up. Even if the legislation enacted as written, there's still a chance for the Treasury Department will interpret the expansive definition in the term broker in a favorably narrow way. What happened in China is a complete sweep out, said Michael Wu, CEO of Amber Group, <coughs> a crypto trading firm in Hong Kong. The United States is seen, is seen by many as a gateway to dialogue and discussions. Bobby Ong, Co-founder and chief operating officer of data provider CoinGecko echoed this sentiment, quote, the key is that it's not the final law yet, so the market is not pricing that in yet. <laughs> is it priced in? <laughs> it's never priced in. Quote, people believe that sanity will prevail at the end of things and will be worded better, he said. There are a few possible silver linings to the crypto tax provision drama. The first is that crypto finally has reached its mainstream moment. It played some part in holding up a $1 trillion bill. It forced United States lawmakers to at least acknowledge its existence and relevance. We also saw that the crypto community, which is famously decentralized and often divided, is starting to become a real political force. Advocates didn't get their way this time, but they definitely got people to pay fucking attention. Quote, the moral victory has been won, Coindesk Chief Content Officer Michael Casey wrote. Quote, the once fringe-dwelling crypto community finds itself legitimized, which is, will eventually result in policy environment that is constructive for the industry. End quote. Or maybe this is just Bitcoin being Bitcoin, and these price movements have little to do with politics of China or the U.S. Who gives a shit about either one, honestly? The China crackdown came on the heels of sizzling market of a sizzling market, but by then prices were already starting to decline. The CoinDesk Bitcoin price index was trading at over forty-two thousand by the end of May seventeenth, not long after coming off of its all-time high of over sixty-four k. Quote, it has more to do with the market participants than the news itself, says Cal Wang, partner at DeFi Alliance, an accelerator for startups. <clears throat> news from both countries was equally bad. 
But when the China news happened, it was very frothy. When the U.S. news happened, most weak hands had already sold. Market timing is also a key factor, said Jason Lau, chief operating officer of crypto exchange OKCoin. Quote, the China news came about when markets were already overextended, declining and looking for more negative news. In the case of the U.S. infrastructure bill, on the other hand, with Bitcoin recovering, the market was actively looking for, <clears throat> get, get this, positive news. That's why you saw the positive spin of, it's amazing how the industry was able to get together and bring a united voice. Oh yeah, baby. This may be my favorite theory. The basic idea is that market acknowledged that this supposedly disastrous crypto provision might become a reality, but ultimately it didn't really matter because even in the worst case scenario where a big part of the digital asset industry had to leave the United States, the crypto market would live, live on. It bears repeating, <clears throat> we don't yet know how the market will react to whatever happens in Congress this week. But there is still reason to believe that the U.S. is not the center of the crypto universe. This is, of course, or rather, there is, of course, no question that the United States is a major force in crypto, especially when it comes to institutional investment. But crypto is becoming increasingly global. Asia has long been a critical player, and we are likely to hear more and more about Africa and Latin America. While it is notoriously hard to accurately track crypto use by geography, Chainalysis 2021 Crypto Adoption Index ranked the United States at number eight after Vietnam, India, Pakistan, Ukraine, Kenya, Nigeria, <clears throat> and Venezuela. Oh man, dude, that's sick, dude. One could argue that in recent years, China may have been more influential than the U.S. That's why the global market shuddered, albeit briefly, when China banned initial coin offerings and shut down mainland exchanges in 2017. Just a year earlier, the majority of Bitcoin trades were in Chinese yuan. Chinese or China's crypto market remained active after 2017, but the exchange shutdowns made it much harder to estimate the number of traders. <clears throat> For mining in particular, China was widely seen as wielding disproportionate power, especially in hash rate, the computing power used for mining. Bitcoin's hash rate dropped by over 50% in July from May when China cracked down on mining, shooting themselves in their own fucking foot. According to data from Glassnode, the hash rate has since begun to recover as miners set up rigs in other parts of the globe. Quote, the China mining news was an untested shock to Bitcoin, the network, with actual immediate impact. This led to true uncertainty around how the hash rate and network would be affected, Lau said. Compare this to the United States policy discussion, which might have led to some longer-term effects specific to the U.S., too vague and nothing related to the health of the network itself, end quote. Now, with miners spreading all over the world, thank you, China, China's influence over the Bitcoin network is declining. No, yeah, you shot yourself in the head, dude. Your brains are now spattered all over the opposite wall. Thank you, China. Thank you very much. I have fun staying poor, little bitches. We may soon see a day when no single government can have a major impact on the price of Bitcoin, given Bitcoin's provenance as a decentralized currency that is immune to government control, that's how it should be. Now, that was a bit longer than I thought. I might actually make the hour mark today. I don't know. 50 years since the gold standard, end, standard ended, Bitcoin is needed now more than ever, says Andrew Gret, 
from BitcoinMagazine.com. Not much more can be more satisfying to historians, economists, and statisticians than to delve back to a past year of era or era. <clears throat> when data and research from yesteryear are compared to that of today's world, experts can begin to pinpoint just how meaningful and influential prior events in history became. With regards to the United States, a quick internet search dishes out a handful of mildly interesting facts from the year that was, 1971. Aside from little tidbits such as Disney World opening and the Apollo 14 moon mission, some other events ended up having a greater long-term effects on the country than contemporary audience may have thought. Intel introduced the first microchip, a cornerstone advancement that helped contribute to the towering tech wave that our society is still riding. The 26th Amendment lowered the voting age to 18, empowering millions of stupid Americans. Stupid, why? Well, because they don't know enough to be able to vote, but whatever. The 26th Amendment lowered the voting age to 18, empowering millions of young Americans. The 1971 release of the Pentagon Papers was, and still is, fuel to libertarians and others skeptical and untrusting of the government. Lastly, the NASDAQ index made its debut, joining the S&P 500 and Dow Jones to create today's three-headed monster. But after half an hour of scrolling through the Internet's interpretations of 1971's relevant happenings, I didn't see any website or article catered to the seemingly mundane circumstance that I believe has eventually had greater repercussions than any of the aforementioned events. Fifty years ago this month, President Nixon announced the end of the gold standard to the U.S. monetary system. And after a couple of years of the dollar still operating on a fixed exchange rate to gold, the results of the final ties being severed in 1973 are disturbing. With the country's debt no longer uh, obliged by gold, rampant spending occurred that drove annual deficit numbers into unprecedented territory, and it, it appears that they will never recover. The, the immediate consequence reveals that from 1973 to 1980, the nation underwent arguably the worst inflationary period in U.S. history, with the consumer price index spiking from 42.7 to 78. Ooh, God. Government deficits and inflation rates aren't uncommon topics of discussion, yet the conversation rarely delves into the specifics uh, resulting or the specific resulting economic impact. The most revealing data from the end of the gold era is the change of income growth for the top 1% compared to the bottom 99 for a 35-year time frame preceding the end of gold-backed dollar, dollars, the bottom 99% of Americans were slowly increasing their slice of the wealth pie peaking with a pre-tax income growth approximately twice that of the of the 1% in 1973. The following decades resulted in a burst for the top earners, and in 1997, their income growth surpassed the 99% and has never looked back. So how exactly does Bitcoin fit into all of this? The root cause of income inequality starts with the printing of money. $9 trillion were watermarked in 2020 an estimated 22% of all USD in circulation. This money is distributed to banks and corporations with the supposed idea that it will refresh the economy and stimulate growth, trickling down through multiple levels. What instead ends up happening is the wealthy have the luxury of hoarding and investing their money, leading to artificially inflated stocks that are driven up partially in fear of a collapsing dollar. Yeah, it goes for real estate too, by the way. In the cases of twenty-eight or the 2008 financial crisis and the 2020 scamdemic, 
The struggles of the lower and middle class also led to increased loans and lending, allowing the rich to accrue more interest. Recessions additionally accelerate the growth, growing monopoly on housing and real estate. There you go. With tighter money preventing millions from putting down the necessary payments to own a home. It's difficult to speculate on what could possibly end the cycle of money slowly seeping into the pockets of corporate America and the top 1%. Regularly suggested ideas include higher taxes for billionaires, which they will never pay because... By the way, they wrote all the fucking tax code yeah, when they did that in the 80s. The, result, rising of, uh, the raising of minimum wage and making higher education more affordable. Most can agree if something doesn't change soon, statistics such as the fact that the bottom half of America has a negative net worth will only get scarier. Unfortunately, none of those solutions would make significant long-term impacts if the Federal Reserve continues to treat the dollar the way it has for the past 50 years. No shit. Bitcoin provides a unique scenario in which money stops looping from the Federal Reserve to banks and corporations and then down to middle and lower class America, right as inflation is finally kicking in and its value diminishes. With the Bitcoin standard, it's quite possible that adequate wages would redevelop without government involvement based on prior decades with the gold-backed dollar. The lack of new money thrown into the economy eventually balances wealth as the rich can no longer hoard and control the majority of assets and property. Acting as a form of digital gold, Bitcoin also gives the common person easier access to store wealth compared to other more expensive and arguably more risky investments in stocks and real estate. This is important when, again, keeping in mind the vast influx of printed money in recent years. Inflation has not hit at near the rate it theoretically should eventually reach, meaning it either will in coming years or there is further proof this money is locked away by the 1% in the form of bloated stocks and investments. Bitcoin's 12-year track record demonstrates it is not a fad ready to die at any moment and the narrative is further growing in the necessary directions. Bitcoin is a long game, people, and will continue to operate as such. Monetary systems and societal structures don't change overnight. Something as ambitious as Bitcoin will surely need to ease through multiple generations to ever have a chance at accomplishing its main goal of making money powerless. But when everyone is in control of Bitcoin, it ends up being controlled by nobody, unlike the dollar's former gold standard. So there you go. That's... That's, I don't know, it's not bad. It's not a, not a bad way to look at it. Uh, I only, the, the only thing that I got a problem with here is the whole multiple generations. I'm not so certain. I'm not. I mean, it'll probably, probably need to happen outside my particular generation, but multiples? Uh, I get the feeling when my kids are my age, that shit's already gonna be done. Hey, let's run the numbers. Man, my house shit has changed. When we left, or rather when I left you for the mountains, oil was at about 70 bucks. Apparently, and I was not keeping track, uh, oil has actually fallen quite a bit since then. Oil is at uh, 63, this is West Texas, $63.94, which is actually up 2.89% uh, in the futures market. This is, by the way, cnbc.com, futures and commodities. Brent North Sea is $67.14, quite a gap there. 
and that is up 3%. Natural gas is up 2% to $3.92 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline is at $2.05, which is up 1.5%. Peter Schiff's uh, Pet Rock is not above $1,800 yet again. $1,792 for a lump of shiny metal rock that is known as gold. And that is a half percent increase for the day, or, well, in the future futures market. Silver is up one and a half. Platinum is up 2%. Copper is up 2% and palladium itself is also up 2%. Agricultural futures, wheat is up one and a half. Soybeans are up over a point. Corn is up 0.6. Sugar is down just a hair. Coffee is up 0.22% and uh, cotton is up almost 1%. Let's see what's going on here. Indices, uh, everything is up by about a third of a point, except for the S&P Mini, which is up 0.66%. Let's talk about real money. $50,000. Holy shit. When I left you, well, let's not get into it. $50,000. Actually, $50,208.87. We have <clears throat> 212,000 transactions being performed in the last 24 hours. That's just under 9,000 transactions every hour. 229,000 BTC have been sent in that 24-hour period. Uh, that's about 10,000 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1 BTC and a median transaction value of 0 0.013 BTC or 635 bucks. Block times are pretty seriously low, dude. Eight minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, we have 0 0.08 BTC being taken as fees on a per block basis and 13.7 BTC taken in fees over the last 24 hour period. Uh, we have a 3.5% drop in hash rate, but we're still at 125.9 exahashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator as always is Doge. Dogecoin trading at 32 cents. Should be 0 0.003 dollars sorry no sorry i'm sorry 0.32 dollars or 32 cents is what shitcoin doge is getting and it should be a fraction of a penny seriously there's no reason dogecoin should be this expensive this is freaking ridiculous <clears throat> <clears throat> there are only 97 transactions waiting on one block to clear <laughs> jesus <laughs> i don't know whether to be happy or sad about that honestly I don't know which way I should go, but in, in either event, let's see what's going on here. We have a market capitalization of $946 billion, which is 8.12% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you can spend your one Bitcoin on 28.2 ounces of shiny metal rock. No, thank you. There is 18,794,754.00 BTC in circulation at a Clark Moody price of $50,350. Uh, let's see, 2,320 and a half of those BTC are locked up in the Lightning Network at a capacity value of $116 million. <laughs> nice job, bitches. There are 14,387 nodes boasting 65,893 channels. Tor capacity is 73.6%. So almost three quarters of the Lightning Network are now be, is now being run over Tor. 
And that means that there's 1,708 and a half BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network being run over just under 10,000 Tor nodes. And that's all that we're gonna be able to do for vitals. Welcome to part two of the snooze that you can use. Blockstream announces new services to increase ROI on renewable energy. Yes, the lizard people over at Blockstream are at it again, trying to rule our lives. Joshua Creighton is going to tell us about it from BTC Times. I probably just butchered his name and it's not actually pronounced Creighton, but that's what it looks like. With its latest project, Bitcoin infrastructure company Blockstream seeks to increase the financial viability of renewable energy investments and improve energy production efficiency worldwide. Dubbed Blockstream Energy, the project involves so-called modular mining units, or MMUs, <clears throat> essentially small self-contained Bitcoin mining facilities built into large containers that can be used as a remotely operated plug-and-play mining solution. With the MMUs, Blockstream aims to allow power producers to utilize surplus electricity at previously unviable hydro and solar hotspots, reducing the amount of energy that would otherwise go to waste. Through the use of the Blockstream satellite network, energy producers can operate and manage MMUs remotely from anywhere on the planet, regardless of how remote the energy site may be. According to our world in data, <clears throat> coal, oil, and gas still make up the vast majority of global energy production, with most renewable sources such as solar and hydro being untapped in remote and off-grid locations where there is no incentive to build the costly infrastructure to put this abundant natural energy to good use. Remote Bitcoin mining could allow for these stranded renewable sources to be converted into renewably sourced Bitcoin, providing a profit motive for energy producers and incentivizing development and infrastructure in critical isolated regions with abundant renewable energy. Blockstream CEO Dr. Adam Back echoed a similar sentiment, stating that much of the world's usable renewable sources are concentrated in remote locations where there is little local demand and not much surrounding infrastructure. Blockstream Mining, a division of Blockstream, has been active since 2017 with the firm's Bitcoin mining operations mainly using hydropower for its operations. In June, Blockstream announced a partnership with Jack Dorsey Square to build an open source solar-powered Bitcoin mine. Okay, so <clears throat> more and more companies jumping on stranded energy bandwagon. This is good to see. It is just going to propel Bitcoin well into the future, by the way. Minting, distributing, and selling NFTs must involve copyright law. <laughs> like, that's going to happen. Ah! Okay, why am I going to tell you about NFTs? Well, clearly this is going to be, probably they're going to be talking about NFTs on Ethereum. So everybody, you know, gird your loins for it. However... I'm, I'm shifting my stance on the development of NFTs uh, in total. And what, what do I mean by that? I, I still don't think they should be on Ethereum. Nothing should be on Ethereum. You shouldn't be on Ethereum. Your money shouldn't be on Ethereum. Why? Because it's a fucking scam machine. That's why 70 million pre-mine. I mean, come on, guys, just give me a break. However, NFTs make a certain amount of sense. And I'm going to tell you in what context video games that that makes total <clears throat> that makes total sense to me because there's actual utility in something that you may use in a video game like oh i don't know a sword 
let's say you're in like, you know, some kind of fantasy MMO or something like that. I could see that. That actually makes some sense as long as it's not on Ethereum. Also, however, though, there's like all kinds of objects in games when you think about it. Your character skins coming to mind because of, you know, the whole Fortnite deal. And, you know, like I said, swords, ships, you name it, dude. If it's in a video game, it ha it's, it's rife with the possibility to actually be an NFT. And why is it that that would have value? Well, if you play video games, do you use these objects? Yes, you do. The fact that they have utility. How do I know that they have utility? Because you just said that you use these things. If you're using something, it has a utility. At that point, an NFT makes sense. If I'm going to just buy something like something stupid, like an, God, the ether rock, then it's like, then it's just, oh, I spent $600,000 on this rock and it's displayed on my mantle with this digital thing that is plugged into the wall and, and, and the whole plug you can see and the, the you know, power cable, you can see that too. And it looks really shitty. Yeah. You just spent $600 and you didn't even get a rock. There's no utility there. Nothing at all. That's like people that put a crucifix in a glass jar and piss on it until it's completely full, put a cover on it and call it art. That ain't art. I mean, it's not, it's, I don't know if it's blasphemy. It probably is, but it certainly is not fucking art. However, in the gaming world, this makes a lot of sense and you can actually push that shit further. Your whole character might be an NFT. In fact, you might have a character <clears throat> that involves several different NFTs all combining together to make up your character that can then be moved as an asset class from game to game to game. So what do I mean by that? Well, your character itself could be an NFT and then you plug in a strength NFT and a dexterity NFT and a, I don't know, charisma NFT. Let's just look at all the attributes that a D&D &D character has. All of those could be interchangeable NFTs that literally come together and build up your character. And then your character is, you know, at this point would have the capacity to be relatively standardized. And if you have a relatively, you know, especially if it's a standard that is sort of not agreed on, what do I mean? Uh, it's hard to explain. It's not that the gaming corporations from around the world come together in a roundtable meeting and saying, we're going to produce this standard, which just means that you now, instead of having 14 different standards, you now have 15. However, if a standard is, is silently agreed upon, well, all of a sudden, now I can take my character from one game and drop him into another game. And those developers can say, you know, <clears throat> when, uh, when people want to port their characters over into, you know, from this fantasy game into the sci-fi game, you know what we're going to do? We're basically not going to look at the NFT of strength and we're not going to look at the NFT of dexterity. Or if they did, you know, for whatever reason, it was like, you know, applicable in the game. They're just going to cut it by, you only come in with half of your strength. Now that's up to the developers at that point. But if there's some kind of standard you know, this makes sense. And an NFT, as far as games are concerned, is the only thing that I can think of at this point in time where an NFT makes sense. So let's get into this one from Harsh Kandawal, Cointelegraph. <clears throat> Everyone is wild about non-fungible tokens. The first half of 2021 alone saw NFTs from Andy Warhol, 
uh, NFTs of the code of the World Wide Web, the first ever tweet, and of course the famous $69 million NFT sale of Beeple's Every Days. Whether this explosive rise of NFTs is a flash in the pan or the future of art and beyond is a hot topic of conversation. An emerging theme from the conversation is whether NFTs have a copyright problem. Nobody is going to give a shit, dude. Nobody's going to care. Not, not when you're selling rocks. In video games, probably. Outside of video games, nobody gives a shit. Copyright is engaged throughout the NFT process, but there is nothing inherent in an NFT itself to ensure that copyright rules are respected or even considered. <clears throat> the story of blockchain development in the cryptocurrency space is one of a struggle against centralization and regulation. Cryptocurrency maximalists, oh good God. Cryptocurrency maximalists, of course, Cointelegraph, of course. In, anyway, us cryptocurrency maximalists envision a democratized financial system free of legislative control. NFTs grew out of this space and share some of the tendency to decouple from established institutions. With this decoupling of NFTs and copyright law, significant problems arise that affect both the purchasers of NFTs and the artists that create them. Uh, the first problem is ownership. Transferring an NFT does not on its own convey any property rights in the digital file linked in the NFT or any of the intangible rights associated with the artwork. Just like owning a painting does not give the owner of the right, the, sorry, just like owning a painting does not give the owner the right to make copies of the painting, the owner of the NFT does not share in any of the exclusive rights that belong to the owner of the copyright in the associated work. In many cases, owning the NFT does not even guarantee ownership of the digital file covered by the NFT, like the JPEG of Beeple's Everydays, which is not typically contained in the NFT. Instead, the NFT contains a link to the location where the digital file resides on an internet server somewhere. To mint an NFT, the minter stores a copy of the digital file on a server and then creates a blockchain token that contains a link to that file. If the hosting service closes its doors, the NFT will point to a dead link. Keep that in mind, people. This is why most of this shit is just bullshit amateur hour. Second, the process of minting NFTs presents copyright problems for both copyright owners as well as purchasers. Purchasers see the NFT as an imprinture of authenticity, but anyone can mint an NFT of any digital file. Minting an NFT typically involves storing a copy of the digital file on a server, but only the owner of the copyright in the underlying work can make copies of that work. So unless an NFT is minted by the copyright owner or someone operating with their permission, the act of minting the NFT is an infringement of copyright. The promotion and sale of that NFT would likely involve additional infringements. Unauthorized NFT minting is not just the result of malicious actors either, a misunderstanding about copyright can lead to NFTs being minted without the proper permissions. As an example, the owner of a physical drawing by Jean-Michel Basquat had intended to mint an NFT of the drawing until Basquat Estate stepped in to point out that the owners of the drawing were not the owners of the underlying copyright. Larger auction houses like Christie's and Sotheby's will offer assurances that an NFT's provenance that is backed by their history and expertise. Most people aren't buying their NFTs from established auction houses. No shit. Online NFT marketplaces like Rarible and OpenSea cannot verify that each NFT offered for sale was minted with the proper permissions. 
The widespread distribution of unauthorized NFTs also weakens confidence in them in general. If NFTs are to fulfill their potential as a new vehicle for building and exchanging uh, the inherent value of creative works, the worlds of NFTs and copyrights will need to start working together. Well, guess what? They won't. Why? Because uh, under no circumstances is something is, is are they going to be able to disrupt the following? I can spin up a token and point it to anything I want to on the internet. How are you going to, I mean, like uh, um, um, the only thing here is that somebody's going to have to authorize or rather oh, bestow their blessing upon the copyright NFT for a particular NFT that points to a particular link somewhere that is never, ever going to go away. This is the problem with NFTs. Okay. The only the only way that this shit works right now in my mind is inside of video games. Now that probably means that I'm just not really thinking outside of the box, but anything outside of the box just looks like a complete fucking clown show to me. So there you go. That's going to do it for that one. <laughs> just Gary Gensler says that Bitcoin is real. Oh, 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 now. Oh, so Gary is going to say it. And this article is entirely too long for me to read in the eight minutes that I have left. So let's just, let's just read the first couple of paragraphs here. Gary Gensler, the new Securities and Exchange Commission SEC chair, uh, validated the invention and legacy of Bitcoin in his very first speech on the subject on August 3rd. Speaking about his most recent time as Massachusetts Institute of Technology professor, of the practice of global economics and senior advisor to the MIT Digital Currency Initiative, Gensler said, I came to believe that though there was a lot of hype masquerading as reality in the crypto field, (laughs) and there still is, Nakamoto's invention is real. Further, it has been and could continue to be a catalyst for change in the fields of finance and money. That's all we really need to know from what Gary Gensler is saying. All right, and, and that's like, honestly, that's kind of dropping a bomb. When he says catalyst for change in the fields of finance and money, what does he really mean? He means it could be and continue to be a catalyst for change in the fields of real estate, agriculture, shipping, uh, video games, uh, me going out and mowing my lawn with lawnmower I bought from Big Mower, uh, healthcare, uh, the way you get paid at work, universities. What he meant was everything. When you have a catalyst of change in the fields of finance and money, you have a catalyst for change in the entire world because everything at one point or another is tied to at least money In our modern world, it's money and finance. I'm not a big fan of finance. I mean, because honestly, it's, I don't know. Finance enables a lot of shit. I get it. It's just that what does it actually create? Yeah, you can get a loan to build buildings and get that shopping center. But does the shopping center, does it actually mean anything? I can go buy a man bag. You know, I can go to, I can get in my Birkenstocks, you know, shoes and, or sandals and go into the Starbucks and, and drop down $8 on a piece of, on a cup of coffee so that I can go to the window seat and pretend like I'm riding with my man bun. I, this to me is just bullshit. It's just a waste of fucking time. 
Now, financing a farm, okay. Why? Because a farm actually makes shit. You know, financing a sawmill, okay. That actually, you know, takes raw lumber and makes shit out of it. Yeah, but, you know, office buildings and, and, and coffee places, it's all bullshit. But outside of finance, everything is attached to money. So when Gary Gensler actually sits up there and says, yeah, this shit's real, that's, in fact, just like dropping a bomb, which fell on El Salvador because, you know, they're in September 7th, uh, El Salvador's Bitcoin law comes into effect. El Salvador Central Bank publishes draft banking regulations under the Bitcoin law. Now, this is back from like four days ago, but, you know, it's a nice one to end off with. This is out of BTC Times and is written by Thomas M., on September the 7th, El Salvador's lay Bitcoin, or the Bitcoin law, officially goes into effect, enacting the law passed in Congress on June 9th. God, was it way back then? On June 9th in the Central American country. Leading up to that day, the Salvadoran Central Bank uh, this week published a draft guideline for banks under the new law. The document entitled Guidelines for the Authorization and Operation of Digital Wallet Platforms for Bitcoin and Dollars and Technical Standards for the Facilitation of the Bitcoin Law's Application outline the rules for banks and other financial institutions to provide financial services involving Bitcoin to their customers. According to the drafts, uh, banks will need to apply for authorization from the central bank to handle Bitcoin-related service offerings. Applications need to include, among other things, a description of the planned products or services, market studies, outlines of risks, and how the applicants seek to address them, including anti-money laundering and cybersecurity measures, cost overviews, and a description of how the applying institutions plan to educate their customers on the planned products or services. Payment provider or payment service providers will be required to ensure Bitcoin to dollar convertibility and vice versa, as well as implement sufficient KYC processes. Further, <clears throat> service providers will be required to inform their customers about Bitcoin's volatility, as well as about the irreversibility of transactions on the network and the possibility of permanent loss of funds, <clears throat> excuse me, if users lose access to their private keys, not your keys, not your coins, is now in draft legislation in the country of El Salvador. Amazing. El Salvador is the first country in the world to declare Bitcoin legal tender. We'll just go ahead and end it there because I'm coming up on the hour and uh, we got a couple of fish to fry. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. I can't let you go without dad says jokes. My wife is fed up with my constant stream of dad jokes, so I asked her, how can I stop my addiction? She shot back, whatever means necessary. I replied, no, it doesn't. All right, being back in the saddle is a little rough. Uh, we'll have to see how it goes during the rest of the week, but glad to be back, kind of. Well, I'm glad to be back here. Uh, next time I go, I'm going to be taking, I don't know, I'm going to have like a brand new laptop. I'm just going to take everything up to the house in Colorado and I'm going to be, you know, doing this show from, I don't know, some room over the garage in the piney woods. Um, uh, and then maybe I just won't <clears throat> ever come back. I don't know. I, I would, I would sorely miss being in Texas, 
But Texas is a state of mind. If you're a Texan, you know exactly what I mean, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.